Hello and welcome back to W Rated, the podcast where we willingly watch the world's worst rated movies. In today's episode, we are delving into another film on IMDb's bottom 100 list, welcoming a new special guest. So for any new listeners, my name's Daisy and as always, I am joined by podcast co-creator, editor and host Claire. Claire, how are you doing? Feels like I haven't asked you that in a long time, we haven't recorded in a while. Yeah, so this could be confusing because we are recording this in June 2023 and we haven't recorded a main timeline episode in nearly a year. But <laughs> main timeline. in the release of this, I've got like two or three other episodes banked that we recorded yeah. last summer. So fuck knows how this, when this is coming out, what order it's going to come out in. Um, but let's just assume I am fine, remain fine, everything is fine. <laughs> let's just, just assume. I kind of like being chaotic in that we don't ever cut out like what's going on for us and then we all we don't we we, do, we could be really clever with I it cut but out we just quite embrace the chaos no no i do oh, cut out okay, a significant yeah. amount okay by the time i listen back i've forgotten what i've said so um which i guess good good luck to you in the edit <laughs> which I probably should say every time. Um, well, today I'm very excited to have joining us, um, specifically for this episode, and uh, people will soon find out why. Um, joining us today, horror podcaster and self-proclaimed non-apologist for this film that we're talking about today in question, welcome to Brad Hansen. How you doing, Brad? Hello. Uh, at the time of recording, I'm happy, healthy and alive. Um, <laughs> hey and long may it continue uh it's 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 a pleasure to be on w rated a podcast that i uh, it's close to my heart as someone who also has an affinity for terrible fucking movies um, you're at home so I'm, here I'm glad that, <laughs> yes i'm glad to find two kindred spirits fighting the good fight for the worst that mankind has to offer i did see a chat between the two of you talking about b movies so i feel like you have found your people with each other i would leave i mean this is how much i love bad movies i wouldn't even think that's a bad movie but jury's out i guess (laughs) jury is out and we'll be talking about bees a lot today i feel brad would you we have a bit of um a tradition where um we like to ask the guests to introduce the film and just give a little bit of a background sometimes people haven't really got a got a, a existing relationship with the film but I'm gonna guess that you do so please tell us all about that and tell us what we're going to be talking about today uh ladies and gentlemen today we'll be discussing the uh Neil Labute directed masterpiece that is The Wicker Man 2006 starring <laughs> the one and only incomparable Nicolas Cage <laughs> in which he you're gonna need to come back and do that for every film now I'm so sorry <laughs> I'm a professional. I do this. I, I I would say I do this for a living, but people pay me peanuts. Um, we've, we we uh, we um. So I'm I'm making this up off the cuff. So bear with me. Uh, we uh, follow along Edward Malice as he tracks to the uh, island of Summer's Isle, not Summer Isle, because that's too difficult for Americans to say or <laughs> comprehend. Uh, <laughs> helping Rowan Woodward, uh, ho- helping Willow Woodward find her missing daughter Rowan Woodward despite the fact that he has no jurisdiction in Washington. <laughs> <laughs> what he meets is a matriarchal hive, uh, so to speak, uh, of, quite frankly, one of the best feminist day camps you could ever at- hope to attend. <laughs> uh, and from there, chaos, mystery, a lot of punching uh, ensues until we get to uh, a denouement that is sure to have a real sting in the tail. Oh, 
sorry. That's the first use of denouement in this uh, podcast. All other guests, first and last, probably bring up your game. First and last, I think that might be the first um, intro synopsis I've given an applause to as well. But I felt like that part of someone that works in PR is just chef's kiss. That's that's what I'm known for is my puns. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, so tell us more about your relationship with with the Wicker Man. Is it is it the remake specifically, or is it the whole the whole story, including the original? So this all came out on an episode of the Evolution of Horror podcast that I'm fortunate to be a part of most seasons, um, and we were talking about the Wicker Man on a, on, a, on a very matter of fact kind of way. I can't remember in what discussion it was even was, and during the recording, I turned to Mike and said, "You know what? I, I'll be honest with you. I actually prefer the remake with Nicolas Cage." And that was kind of the first time that I'd... It was almost like my coming out pie. <laughs> it was the first time that I'd really uh, acknowledged it. And I was met with, I'll be honest with you, a lot of derision. A lot of people were saying, what's he talking about? What's he smoking? And I thought, I'm going to double down on yeah. this because I... <laughs> Don't back down. Double down. <laughs> double down. So I've now made it kind of a life's mission. So I basically re-memed my own life. Brilliant. Um <laughs> to the fact that you obviously now know that I'm currently sat with a, an original cinema poster yeah. from 2006 of The Wicker Man 2006 behind mm-hmm. me. Um, and more importantly, have tattooed my body for the rest of my life with Nicolas Cage's face. And it's a big one. It's like oh, a full it's, four. Oh, it's big. Yeah, it's, it's big. a commitment. I love this. Yeah. It's, a, it's amazing. Yeah. Just it's make a, yeah, that... It's a real commitment to the bit. Yeah, just take that one thing that makes you uniquely you that everyone goes, huh? And you go, yes, this is me now, and I fully embrace it, and everyone better know about so, it too. <laughs> does this mean that I now need to get a full arm tattoo of John Goodman as Fresh Prince? Ah, yes. Yes. I yes. think you yabba dabba should do. Hey. Hey. Oh no, that means it's I'm gonna have to get a Shrek episode. Get a uh, episode? I'm gonna have to get a Shrek tattoo now, aren't I? If you get a It's gonna be Donkey. It's gonna be Donkey. Do you think? Yeah, I think you're more Donkey than Shrek. And I mean that positively. Yeah, annoying as fuck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I also have a tattoo of Craig David, so I'm not really one to make good oh, life wow. decisions anyway. So. All the best life Did decisions. that come out of well, an I... equal conversation where you were like, I just really, really love seven days more than filming in, and everyone's like, what? <laughs> no, I, I, I work in uh, film and television insurance, and uh, I work with a, over a lot of Essex boys. All right, mate. Mm-hmm. Or mm. West London Money. And I was talking to a West London Money and he said, Brad, I just got to say I fucking hate all your tattoos. I think they're all fucking disgusting. Oh. Uh, but like, you know, if I was ever going to actually get a tattoo, it would be of Craig David because he's a fucking ledge, unironically. Uh, uh, and <laughs> and I said... What year was this? Uh, 2015. Wow. Okay. And I said, jokingly, I'll do it. And then he booked an appointment and we went and did oh it. Oh my and God. I don't even like Craig David. <laughs> and I now, I now have him on my leg uh, for the rest of my life. Oh my God. I'll sh- I'll, a- I'll, I'll, once we finish recording, I'll show it to you. Yeah. That was a brilliant story. I'm, stop the recording. <laughs> that is insane. I'm just looking at tattoos in a whole new light now and what they could mean for the what, impact. What they on, could mean. Yeah. What they could mean for, you know living living life uh and surprising people <laughs> right so swing it back yes. yeah let's when, please <laughs> when do you think the first time you saw this movie that is now very important 
part of your physical life? (laughs) Um, To be honest with you, um, I don't really know. There are certain films that come into my life, I feel, and they kind of transcend time. And I can't pinpoint the moment that I saw it. It just seemed to be something that existed in my life, maybe since the, you know, my genus, my birth. (laughs) Um, Much like the original Suspiria, I couldn't point down like, that film just feels like it's always been a part of me. I definitely, I, I'll say, I definitely didn't see it in the cinema. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so it was definitely a home video at some point watch. Um, and I I am genuine when I say that I do prefer the remake to the original. Mm. Well. Mm. I appreciate that. I, appreciate I that. haven't seen the original. I have. I did my Well, 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 I was, I hadn't and I thought, I'll do something interesting. I think it would be interesting for us to speak about it with someone. Like, I wanted to give my opinions purely on this film as it is and mm-hmm. see mm-hmm. after we'd had the discussion what my... Because I just... Yeah, I thought it would be interesting. I knew, Claire, you would have you would have done your homework and I would have assumed that Brad had seen it. So I thought, oh, I will use this to my advantage and be strategic and see if there's any interesting tidbits that come out um, of the fact that I haven't seen the original. Um... Claire, did you have you seen this one before? This is a new for you. No, I literally watched the original last mm-hmm. night, and I watched this version. Uh, this oh, see, oh, okay. So, so you did the original first as well on purpose. I'm assuming. I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I think really helped with my enjoyment of this one. Actually, ah. um, I felt like I definitely got more from this having seen like the source text. Mm. Um. I think I because I kind of knew where we were going. I didn't get lost because I feel like it's a film that could easily get lost. Yeah, I'm really intrigued to see what all of our different opinions are now. Then, so before <laughs> spoiler warning, we're just going to dive straight straight into everything weird and wonderful about this film. So if you haven't watched it, pause it, watch it, and come back. Um, but just to recap in terms of where we are on the bottom 100, this is only number 84, which. I am and I'm not surprised by because it's very iconic but we'll soon find out like what we think in terms of how bad it is um but it's got a not to sorry not to jump in too quickly with letterboxd reviews and other reviews yeah but I did spot in my research that there is uh what's going on is the opposite of review bombing and people are purposefully giving it five star reviews at least on letterboxd Ah. to try up the letter well, it hasn't three. worked because it's only got a one point eight. <laughs> but those of them are literally saying this is just just putting this here to up the rating. Brilliant. So I do wonder if that's also why it might be as high as it is on the list. Yeah, because it's a three point. It's got three point. Sorry, I lost my place now. Three point eight on IMDb. Yeah, so it is the the be- the better end of the scale, shall we say? <laughs> but I love that. We need more positive, like upping the ratings we 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 get too many what's the opposite of review bombing that's that we'll come we'll circle back to that see if we have a a good phrase for it i can't imagine it's going to happen on any of the other films we talk about it should be bloody happening on the flintstones but whatever <laughs> it always comes back to the flintstones oh sorry that's twice now i won't mention no it. don't worry i'm already joking okay so film chat let's go brad i'm dying to know what is it about this film that you love so much and why is it better than the original? Convince me as someone who hasn't seen the original. Sure. 
Um, <laughs> so the, 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 the first problem that the film has is that it's marketed as a horror film and it most certainly is not a mm-hmm. horror film. I think in 2006, audiences were expecting a certain thing and it's certainly not what it's given to it. What it is, mm-hmm. is this absurdist battle of the sexes black comedy, which Neil Labute's actually known for with films like In the Company of Men. He's got a history of making these films that deal with gender politics in not necessarily mm-hmm. the um, most subtle of ways. He certainly isn't a, uh, a feminist scholar, shall we say, <laughs> but certainly deals... <laughs> deals with gender roles and gender stereotypes and the the male female connections in interesting ways and i think the wicker man is a great um example of a beta who thinks he's an alpha <laughs> entering into the a, a den of vipers uh to find that his uh misogyny is no longer welcome here and met with uh force and violence until he snaps back like the incel that he is. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I that has put it in a completely new light for me because I totally got. Well, it's not even really subtext, is it? It's the the story no. is the fact that you know um, it's all related back to the queen bee like sort of way of living, um, sort of the, the putting the women on the pedestal and, and reshaping society in a deemed feminist way, but kind of you've reframed the the Nick Cage character for me there I think um before we I suppose we probably should talk a little bit more about what happens in the story um before we jump too far into (laughs) breaking down all the themes and everything um but that's a key difference right from the original is that it's not necessarily the 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 gender roles of it isn't is that not as big a part of the original it's religion in the original okay. so the police officer in the original is like devoutly devoutly christian mm-hmm. and there's so much more done with the concept of the cult and the concept of the religion mm-hmm. that they follow um and it is the head of the island is a man and he's a lord um and then there's but men and women are both in it together mm-hmm. it's just everyone on the island but religion is like the main thing okay and I don't think religion is even mentioned once in the remake. Um, they very much yeah, get rid of the religion, I guess, because we're not really in a religious society anymore. Um, especially like mainstream American audiences don't really want too much religion in their movies, and they want for the women be bad. <laughs> they should watch. Um, those that do want uh, religion in their movies should watch Left Behind. Another Nick Cage <laughs> starring <laughs> film. Um, what did you think about the differences, then, Claire, when it comes to sort of like the basic setup of the story? I feel like they lost something by getting rid of the religious element. I thought that was the most interesting part of the original because he's so horrified by their religious beliefs, but religion in itself is a cult. And just because he's been raised Christian, he doesn't see his version mm. as a cult, but he sees their version of religion as a cult um, and horrible. So I felt that was really interesting. However, I did like the, the women part of it. Um, you know, I've been watching a lot of Yellow Jackets recently. <laughs> so women being horrible in cults with bees is, you know, a wasp in Yellow Jackets. It's, you know, high on my radar these days. <laughs> Making honey, killing men. <laughs> All in a day's um, work. You know, yeah. Um, so I did admire the choices that they made. I didn't think all of the choices worked. Um, 
so again, spoilers, but you know us by now. Um, the young girl in the original is not related to him, has nothing to do with him. He is, is just a missing girl. I felt like that was unnecessary. I could see what they were doing mm-hmm. with it and the whole honey trap thing that she uh, goes out and looks for men to get impregnated. Right. But I just felt like that was an unnecessary factor and I really didn't care for the flashbacks. We know my pet peeve oh. is films that flashback to things that already happened in the film. <laughs> um, and I, I'm just fed up seeing that goddamn it's like scene you can't, again and You again can't again. even, like... I know that that was... In wouldn't work in this instance because he was looking back to that. But you know when they do montages yeah. of people's relationship and you only see the bits you already see, it's just so dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I I admired the changes they made. I thought the majority of them didn't work as well as they should have mm-hmm. done. But I liked that they went for them. Okay. Yeah. See, you know, coming out from I suppose the angle that I've set myself up for having not seen the original, um, I assumed that that was what the original was as well. I really enjoyed the theming that they went with. Um, I think it made sense thematically and like with the story. And there's yeah, there's still some bits. You know, Brad just explained little nuances and things and the way to to look at it that I didn't pick up on before. So I feel like for me, when I haven't seen the original knowing they made that change. Right now, I feel like it added something. But as I say, I haven't seen the original, so I'll, I will see if that <laughs> changes my mind. Um, but I guess, is that something um, that people had a problem with? It's not s- something I've necessarily seen people have an issue with. It's more how it was executed that people had an issue with. There were a lot of people, and I think, again, it was in part because of the execution, a lot of people had an issue with Le Boot, or Le Boot, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, because he does have a history of, like, misogynistic choices in his filmmaking. I've not seen um, any of his other films, but in any reading I did around this, that just kept being mentioned and kept being mentioned. So I think the fact that he chose to make it an all-female cult, people knowing him... Um, join the podcast. And her choice to make it an all-female cult, knowing right. his work, people kind of held that against him, whether it was right it's or It's kind of like when we were talking about Blonde, of, right? It's like when you're looking at uh, an area of, you know, contention like that, and then you find out someone's beliefs, you kind of see it in different light. Um, Brad, have you seen any of these other films? What do you think about the direction? See- so yeah, as I said, yeah, Neil Laboot has done quite the, the the film that he's most notable or no, notorious for is is a film called um, In the Company of Men, which uh, yeah, it's pretty misogynistic. Right. Um, it was mid nineties sort of time, um, but once again, it's it's not done with intent. It's just it's kind of hold, him holding a mirror up to society and being like, this is how we're taught we're teaching young men to behave. Okay. He's still making films. He made two films last year. One with called House of Darkness, um, with Justin Long, where he enters a, a a house filled with vampiric women. So he's still doing the same sort of things. Right. And then he then he also made like an erotic thriller uh, about a librarian, uh, which was not very good. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> Swings around about. Uh, but he's he's always been drawn to this male and female dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an, it's a it's an interesting it it's interesting when someone has like it's nice when a director has a thing that they're passionate by, driven by, they want to explore. 
So that in itself has piqued my interest to watch his other films, whether or not I'll like them or there's something else going on toward there. But I don't know. <laughs> Brad's face says Yeah, no. I don't know. I'm, intri- I'm intrigued by it, even if it's just to compare or paint a bit of a wider picture of context of this Who film. Um, yeah. I know that you said before about what you liked about this film. I got, and, and Claire's obviously shared that her she prefers the original when it comes to the story. Overall, like, what, what I know that you prefer The Wicked Man 2006. Um, yeah. Do you want to just explore, tell us a little bit more about the differences Why? that you see there? What works for you? Yeah, what works, what doesn't work when you're comparing the two? So I, I have no actual issue with The Wicked Man 1973. <laughs> um, I think it's in, yeah, the way that it explores, as Claire said, religion, but also sexuality. There's mm-hmm. some great scenes with him getting a proper lob on. Um, <laughs> with like a woman so, dancing so naked next door. She sings him in like a seductive song while she rhythmically shakes against the walls, <laughs> and which is the point where in my house I walked to the room and I was like, I was like, there's a naked lady doing some dancing. Don't and worry she about was it. Like, okay. <laughs> okay. She must just assume now okay. she's like podcast. We got a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just a just a quiet just a quiet Sunday morning. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um. So this is a film that really. Uh, kick-started the memification of Nicolas Cage. Right. Um, and I enjoy his outlandishly stupid performance <laughs> uh, for all its points and foibles. The fact that he's a man that's so desperate for help that he's willing to read self-help books, except he's not willing to read them. He just wants to have someone read them to him. Because uh, <laughs> he has to have books on tape because he can't put the work in himself to read it. <laughs> he's, uh, he's like a traffic cop he spends a lot of time on the road he wants to have it on in the headphones while he's going around on his little bike saving or not saving people from from cars that are on fire look that kid didn't want to be saved she was asking for it i just think it's just silly camp nonsense uh that spawned several scenes moments lines of dialogue Mm -hmm. line readings there are some certainly some choices in there um and objectively, I know it's not good. Like I'm, I'm not like Kool Aided. Like I'm, I'm very aware <laughs> what I'm saying. Uh, we're going to talk about cults later. I've not joined a cult, but I, <laughs> but I always go with with films on like my enjoyment yes. of them. Hence yeah. why I would give the room five stars. I went to the latest Neil Breen film on Thursday, uh, Cade the Tortured Crossing. It was one of the funnest experiences in the cinema I've ever had. Five stars. Troll two. Five stars. <laughs> There's there's no, like, it's about how much a film brings to me as much as I bring to it. Mm. And th- this is just a really, sh- um, the problem is a lot of people think it's really boring. And I tend to, I can see exactly why they would say that as well. I I think that's really interesting because I found the original a little bit boring. And I, as it went on and it got closer to the ending, it's quite a short film. I think it's less than 90 minutes. Um, I got really on board with it. And the, the ending is as good as, you know, that's why it's a, a cult classic uh, because the ending is so good, which is also why I think that really helped me with watching the remake because I knew the plot points where we were headed, even though there are some changes in mm. the plot, we're, we're heading to all that same ending. So I think when the, pace, the pacing was kind of strange, but because I knew what pace we were going at, I was able to sail along with Yeah, it. that makes sense. Um, and it's interesting as well because I think if I had watched this, like you say, it was heavily marketed as a horror 
And especially when you're getting a horror remake, you kind of expect it to really up that gore factor. Yeah, yeah. There's almost no violence in this whatsoever. And myself and Daisy watched the theatrical cut. I actually think there is no no violence. It's the equivalent of a PG-13, I think. Um, Yeah. yeah. Um, So it's very tame. And it reads far more as like an action thriller. Yeah, like I was going to say like a mystery so, kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, if I'd have gone in to see this in the cinema or got the DVD, knowing nothing of its context, not knowing the original, not knowing that it's now infamous for being bad, I would have been like, that was one of the worst things I've ever seen. Yeah. But we're coming to this in 2023. It has such a history behind it now, it has such context that I was able to get on board with it. Um, I do kind of have the opinion that if it wasn't Nicolas Cage and it was a smaller, less known actor, it would be a significantly better film. Um, I don't think Nicolas Cage is doing a bad job, but I think he's doing it. He's in a different film to the rest of the Yeah, but he makes it interesting, I think. He does make it interesting, but I either wanted everyone to be on his level or him to be on their level. I I think I I didn't like the... The disparity of... ...start screaming at them. (laughs) I was like, why are you screaming? No one else is screaming. Yeah, Um, a peak moment for me was him screaming, how did it get burned? And the other woman's just like not acting at all. It's just standing there going, I I don't know. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It sounds like I kind of needed them to meet in the middle somewhere or them all to go full cage. But that is why now this film has become so beloved because people just love the cageness of it. And if you had a film full of cages, it wouldn't work. Yeah, I think you You'd need... You'd have an aneurysm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need the ebb and flow, I think. Um, I kind of like the absurdity of... No, I really do. The absurdity of him going in... And it, it plays into what you were saying, Brad, about this guy that thinks he's like an alpha like, and he's going in and he thinks he's saving the day and he's just like yeah, I'm doing this and I'm going to, you know, repent for the fact that I didn't get to save those people. And this whole time he's just being played for a complete fool. Um, and I like that the way that Nick Cage plays it is just going full <laughs> into that, stealing bikes, you know, punching out people. And all the while they are just laughing at him behind the scenes. Just makes that payoff so much funnier, I think. But like... The fact that I've said funnier just goes to show, yeah, this isn't... <laughs> the enjoyment of this isn't the horror aspect at all, it's... I mean, Nicolas Cage has come out now he, uh, when he was doing press for Unbearable Weight of Unlikely Talent. Or massive unbearable talent. Unbearable Talent. Massive Talent. Like, just the, that title will never stay in my brain. Brilliant film. Oh, um, I didn't like it, but that's did... co- for another day. <gasps> that's a different episode. That's a different episode, yeah. <laughs> um, but he did, during the press of that, say that Wicker Man was always meant to be a comedy, that they set out to make a black comedy. Yeah, I get that. And that uh, everyone just didn't understand their genius. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I mean, some of that's true. Some of it's delusion, <laughs> but <laughs> definitely black comedy. He seems proud of it, which I like. But I always like when an actor has a bad film and they still stand by it because they chose to make the film for a reason. Well, he's—I mean—he's got plenty of bad films, um, yeah. Mr. Cage. Um, but I mean, this is not the worst. Bringing back um, what Daisy was saying about the classroom—that's actually quite, a, a, for me, a pivotal scene in that film that really kind of plays its hand in terms of how I read the film as this absurd black comedy about gender or about you know gender roles, because he walks into that classroom like he is the dog's fucking bollocks he <laughs> thinks he is the 
and he's going up to all he's the like, he's I'm really, a police officer what? walking in and you're like yeah I got my badge yeah and they're all like and then, and give a he, shit <laughs> and, he, and they're like you seen this girl and then he has the audacity to kind of like rub out I the know. William Bell poem. I know I was a bit like I don't think even police officers should do that <laughs> that's rude I'm sh- I- I- I'm not going to doubt your due diligence, but there is an Irish saying above um, the chalkboard. Right. Yes, I saw Did- about this. Uh, yes. And the translation of the Irish saying literally says the king has no sting. So it's oh. about the emasculation of this man mm. in its uh, in its purest form as little girls laugh at him. Um and he's like, you little liars. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's a really good impression. <laughs> you think this is not the first time I've done some Nicolas Cage impressions? <laughs> <laughs> not my first rodeo. Yeah, it's these little details, I think. Um, I think if I was to watch it again, I definitely have. I'd be looking for the, all of those little little nuances and, and everything. And it's interesting you brought that scene up because I felt like that's, that was a pivotal moment for, for me watching it as well. Because I knew you always know something's up. I mean, I'm, I've gone long enough without seeing it, but I, I'm alive, so of course I'm gonna have no certain aspects of what's what's happening and what's gonna happen. I've seen a few, fair few films in my time to sort of predict where it's going, but you know something's up, but you don't quite know what yet if it's the first time you've seen it so it's always good to go back and watch that but that classroom scene got me I was it hooked me a bit more in terms of where is this going what are the who's got the power why are they doing it etc um so that yeah that scene really stuck out for me it was interesting as well obviously she speaks to the classroom teacher and then he goes following wherever she sends him off to and is it the same the actress again he was like oh I've just seen you and then he's, that's the same actress that comes around later, the, the classroom teacher, who steals his bikes. So, you know, I quite enjoy that re- that relationship they have together. There's a, there's, there's a weird thing with twins that I'm not quite sure I understand why there's so many twins in that film, but there are. There's the two blind sisters. Oh, of course, like, yeah. There's the man coming. <laughs> and then there's, I think, two sets of twins in the, the girls, girls group yeah. as well. Um, and But also when he meets the second teacher, she's got all the boys and ah. they're literally just like, they're they're all just like hitting sticks into dirt because they're just (laughs) because you know they're all they're all just there to to shag and do the heavy lifting that's that's their jobs yeah and it to be not to 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 offend you as a man that that should be how it is to be honest it sounds quite nice for me i'd be jacked and (laughs) (laughs) in both senses of the meaning (laughs) i don't mind being put out to stud that's fine It's definitely, yeah, maybe maybe there needs to be a bit, I mean, it's coming up to, I was talking to someone about how long this, um, it's been out for, so what is it, about 17 years, and they were quite surprised that it'd been out that long, I wonder if there'll be a bit of a, um, sort of celebration around it for its 20th anniversary in a few years time, potentially might be able to get a, a, a re-showing at the Prince Charles, potentially, I would imagine if it is available anywhere for for cinemas to show it, they would be hot to yeah. show it in some sort of, you know, like my local cinema, I think they call it like Hotel Babylon or something. Um, and they show like once a month kind of really Shit bad movies. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'd imagine if this was available, someone would oh, be Oh yeah, it for sure. But on that, just talking about the fact that Claire and I watched the theatrical cut, I have to say yes. I was 
kind of preoccupied at the end, waiting for the moment. The moment. I was like, where are the bees? Where are the bees? And he was in the man. I was like, does he somehow get out of the Yeah, that's what I thought. I I genuinely was like, because I'm not going to lie, I was playing a little bit of solitaire. (laughs) And I was like, did I miss the the bee scene? Because I was busy playing with my cards. But it turns out the bees aren't in the theatrical cut. And when I went back and watched the extended, or the unrated cut, I realised that the dialogue from that scene is overlaid with a later scene of him being taken to the Wicker Man. And I, in the theatrical cut, when you get that voiceover of him screaming, being like, killing me won't bring back your bees. This is murder! (laughs) And you'll all be guilty! (laughs) Why is this a voiceover? This is so shit as a voiceover. This just Oh, so you knew something was up. Whereas I thought it was quite an interesting (laughs) choice. I didn't necessarily know something that was up. I just thought it was Boy, bad it was choice. Shit. I was like, oh, this doesn't work for me. And right. then when I realised it's because they cut the scene out, I was like, oh, that makes so much more sense. Because I did think it was a weird choice. Yeah. But even like, I understand why they cut it out to remove the rating. Like, they have to do that because there's laws for what can and can't go. But when I re- when I then watched the unrated version, I didn't feel like it was that heavy or anything. Like it's it not kinda, egregious. It's no, not violent. No, it kind of, it, it, it's over really quick. It's only like an extra few minutes. So it really, you're right. I'd imagine it's because it's torture. I think it uh, wouldn't necessarily be so much what it's showing. But like the thing, because you know how now the BBFC's big thing is any sort of sexual thing. Oh, okay. They're, like, making 18 automatically. Because so the context of... Yeah, 2006. Thing, yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah, I guess I just um, was expecting... Yeah, I was expecting a bit more horror, but I still enjoyed it. Um, I was still intrigued by the story, even though I felt it was, like, a little bit predictable. Like, I think we'd all... I don't think anyone would assume that... You always knew that a twist quote-unquote was was coming with it all but overall like I thought the story was was interesting enough but yeah I I don't know I see what you mean Claire about it being a better film if Nick Cage was maybe replaced by someone else but I don't know if it would be half as enjoyable or memorable memorable. it will it wouldn't have been on the bottom 100 because nobody would have seen it (laughs) so um director's cut wise versus theatrical in the theatrical, you're treated to something that isn't in the director's cut. Oh. And that is that is the stinger at the end starring a now cancelled uh, James Franco. Yes. Uh, and that does I n- felt that, that was exist. unnecessary. So yeah. I'm glad they cut that out of the director's cut. Yeah, it cut. doesn't exist in the director's cut. So obviously they're setting up for the, the inevitable sequel that didn't come. Oh dear. Um, so yeah, it's him and that other guy in the bar and obviously we meet Lily Zabretsky and she comes and it's her job to now... Uh, spend like three years cultivating a relationship just to get knocked up and fuck off back to the island or whatever the the plan Surely is. Surely there would be quicker, more efficient ways to do that. It doesn't take three years to get pregnant. <laughs> it doesn't take three years, but you've got to make sure they're down bad when you leave. Ah, so they're going to come back. Right, I see what you mean. You've got to get the hooks in them. Mm-hmm. The it has to be the right kind of man as well. Because she was saying, like um, Ellen Bernstein was saying, like this plan has been in motion for mm. years. Because they need to make sure it's a specific kind of man that he, when he is told that the child has gone missing, will drop everything and come. Yeah, but that's also true. the kind of man that no one's gonna really come looking for. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I got you. I'm on board with that. Because that's established at the beginning. Because he's like, I don't know anything about you, mate. I didn't even know you were shagging anyone. Because yeah. he's he's such a absolute nothing burger of a person. Um. 
but like one thing for Daisy that you won't know is in the police uh, station at the beginning, mm. there is a missing persons poster. Claire, I don't know if you noticed this. I did not, but I can see where this yeah. is Yeah, there's a missing persons poster for Edward Woodward's character ah, from the original 1973 Wicker Man. Yeah, it's part of the canon. And obviously, you know with Edward Woodward, if you take out all the Ds, his name. Iwa-Wuwa. Iwa My dad used to tell me that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> they did invite him to be in this, but he turned it down. Yeah, he was like, But not nice. in a... He did, apparently he didn't say it insultingly because he said that they could use his surname as like an Easter egg. But he was just like, I, <laughs> "Here, I have some crumbs, <laughs> but I ain't being involved. Yeah. Have a name." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I can't imagine that the the the, the, the phone was ringing off the hook for Edward Woodward in two thousand and five. <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly, mind, yeah. Clearly, it was. He thought it was either that bad, or he thought he had bigger fish to fry. Um, but yeah, I made a note of that. Um, but he, oh no, apparently there's a quote where he said he declined, but nevertheless was surprisingly impressed by the quality of the script. But he doesn't say whether that's positively or negatively. Yeah. <laughs> so... Just outed himself as a misogynist. Nice one, Edward. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so what was I going to say? Um, so the other thing that I picked up on is that apparently, and you guys will be able to tell me, much of the dialogue um, is word for word, but sometimes it's used in a different context. Is that something that came through quite a lot? or I only spotted it with certain times. Um, like there was one specific line where he's like, I want permission to exhume her body. And she's like, I was under the impression I'd already given that. And mm. that is a word for word line, which is when I, I clocked. Right. I was like, oh, they're taking the dark. I didn't realized they had taken as much dialogue as the statistic says but they apparently did move it around and um, so that makes sense that's why it wasn't maybe quite so noticeable if it's a different use in different ways in different contexts yeah i'd find it quite shocking that it would take if it is what they're saying is 80 percent that it wouldn't be noticeable so maybe those numbers are just wrong i don't know where it, where it came from it's just trivia on imdb but I've, yeah it's interesting that you say it's not noticeable so yeah, I suppose that's quite an inventive way of making it a little bit, making it your own, but also be like paying homage to paying homage. Yeah, to the. I feel like it was a lot of the the like women's dialogue was yeah. the same as the cult or the group in the original, and I think Nicolas Cage's dialogue is probably quite original because his character is brand new. Right. Whereas, and his his character is significantly different to the character in the Go original, on. just because of. Go on then, tell me more. Tell me more uh, about the, the the two guys and what's. It's it's just modernization. In the original, he is a I believe English um, police officer. He doesn't have any relation to anyone on the island. He doesn't know anyone on the island, mm-hmm. and he just wants to know about the young girl. And he is just deeply, deeply religious. Um, it also says that he's a virgin, so he's very chaste. Oh, okay. Um, so it's kind of so the complete opposite <laughs> of why he's... Yeah. And so, so, yeah, and so he is chosen because they need a man who will be a hero, who will save people who's a virgin. That's the reasons that they chose because him. Because is it like virgin? a puritanical sacrifice? Yeah. Because they're pagan, right, in the original? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's why it's not necessarily that they're so different in terms of their archetypes. It's literally just because no one would believe now in the modern that you would have someone that pure at that age. Yeah, 40 and hasn't fucked, yeah. 
Steve Carell, <laughs> we've got another job for you. <laughs> that, that's a very different 40-year-old version of film. <laughs> yeah, so They've both it, got torture scenes, to be fair. Yeah, except True. Nick Cage doesn't <laughs> shout out Kelly Clarkson when, he, when the bees no. are... Uh, yeah. Kelly Clarkson! <laughs> I mean... It could have worked. Nick Cage, I think, could make anything work in that context. Honestly, yeah, definitely. (laughs) So we've spoken a little bit about his performance. I'm interested to hear your guys' opinions as well. Where it kind of ranks for you with with his other performances, do you see this as a bit... I know that a lot of people see this as more of the wacky end of the Nick Cage scale. Um, I would probably say so, but I, I think we spoke last time, Claire, about how... We actually haven't seen as many Nick Cage films as we thought we had. But you've seen more now. I feel like I've doubled that very pitiful number to a still pitiful but slightly Oh, did it Did it inspire you after that last conversation? Um, It was both a little bit of inspiration and just like luck of seeing things on at the cinema. Um, And then also last year when I had COVID, I just really, really, for some reason, wanted to watch like stupid Oh, yeah, I remember you saying that. So... (laughs) I, I did the like the, tonic, the holy tonic trilogy, for the soul. yeah, rock, rock, con air, and face off. So that helped as well. Um, so yeah, just I've got him up loaded now. So yeah, I think last time I only had four that I'd seen, and now I have fifty. Oh, nice! Yeah, that's an improvement. That's like quadrupled nearly. Um, yeah, I think this is of his wackier ones and his less successful. It definitely feels in the right bucket with Left Behind yeah. and it doesn't feel like it should be in the bucket with Moonstruck or Pig. No. Though in Moonstruck he's given an insane performance just in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Still Nick Cage at the end of the day. So Yeah, he had a wooden hand in that one. It was great. <laughs> what do you think, Brad? Uh, I've seen uh, 97 Nicolas Cage Whoa! films. Oh, right. The fact that there <laughs> even is that many. Insane. He is my on my you, you get your letterbox stats every year. He is always <laughs> my most watched actor every year, without fail. Um, this goes towards the upper echelons of the ability of Nicolas Cage to freak out. I would say if you're looking for a more frenetic performance, I would obviously recommend Vampire's Kiss from 1989. Not got that one. Yet. Oh baby, that's a good one. Um, Love it. <laughs> that's that's a good one. Uh, that also uh, his performance in Zanderly is uh, very funny. And there's also one called... There's a couple of others. Fuck, off the top of my head, I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> there's one where he's a coke dealer and it is unbelievably stupid. <laughs> um, but yes, it doesn't meet like the, you know, the, the acting chops of Pig and Leaving Las Vegas yeah. and those kind of more prestigious pieces. Yeah. But then you look at something where, like he can, he can intersect the two in one film with something like Mandy where he, he's giving a really soulful performance but also just going absolutely ham in a bathroom so like well yeah and no, i'm looking like i i'm known for not being a lynch fan and I'm, i can see wild at heart on my brain oh he's great and in I, that <laughs> i thought the acting in that film was some of the worst acting i've ever seen in my life but apparently the rest of the world just saw something different because he does that prestigious crazy that works for everyone but interesting yeah. i'm definitely gonna have to to see more stuff i mean i i completely appreciated what he was doing here because i think he's iconic for a reason right he 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 is himself he goes for it i think some people said that they didn't feel like he went as hard for it as maybe he could have like i think your point there brad about he could have got like he has gone further before but 
would have made it a bit too much of a parody, I think. He is trying to tread the... Yeah, he's already at odds with, like, Ellen Burstyn's... Yeah, like, he knows he's... Centred. The room he's in, you know. Um, yeah. But he still makes it his own. What do you think about... Um, so you've spoken about the story and his performance, but, like, when it comes to Neil Labute's, like, direction, like, what what do you think about how he brought this version of the uh, of the story to life? I'd be very interested having not seen the director's cut to give the director's cut go. I also, the copy of the original I've got has the theatrical and the, and the director and I was recommended to watch the director but I had already started theatrical. So I would love to now watch the directors of the original and the directors of this because the director of the original is significantly longer whereas, as Brad was saying, I believe the director's cut of the the remake is significantly shorter. Yeah, it's a little bit shorter. It's a little bit shorter. They cut out a lot of the bump. What fat he trims. Yeah, oh, what, what fat is he trims? So it's not just that they have the extra scene in, it's that it's actually recut. It, in, a, in a side, it's, it's not anything too dramatic. Say it loses the stinger at the end, and yeah. a few bits and pieces are swapped and chopped around. But there's not—it's—it's it's not like you're missing it. It's a completely different film, you know. Yeah. I, I read recently it's only twelve seconds to call it a director's cut. Oh. Did you hear that? That—that's the minimum, or like the minimum it can be to be considered a director's cut. So, I—I I wouldn't. I, I'm trying to save you some tr- some trauma. Here. And say <laughs> so I wouldn't break your back. Maybe I think you know this type of film requires a bit of distance. I'd maybe revisit in a year. Yeah, see how you maybe, feel about it yeah maybe when you're got hankering to watch it again, watch the director's cut instead and see. At least you won't have to. And then I would go say get YouTube some mates rounds. Video, go on. Get some mates round, have a few drinks. Yeah. And just and watch it just do as, a drinking uh, you know, game. Drink every time something stupid happens. I can't get my friends to watch good films. I'm not going to get them to start watching and bad that, films. Yeah. <laughs> well, come back to London and we'll change that. Don't worry about that. <laughs> let's all go let's do a drink along at the clapham grand or the prince charles cinema i don't think this is a clapham grand vibe but um they do like their drinking drinkathons um yeah i i it's interesting that you say about there's a director's cut but there's not too much change so obviously he did kind of for the most part have his stamp on it i thought it was quite do you know what i thought it was quite cozy <laughs> <laughs> I loved the visuals. Yeah. I loved the costumes. It felt the of its time. I got that down. Like I was watching it. Like I had the morning off work, and I was watching it, and I had my cup of tea, and I don't know. It just felt very like I got I got sucked into it. You know, into the into the whole vibe and the atmosphere of it all. Um, I feel it would be quite a quite a good one just to watch, sort of like of an autumn autumn evening for a bit of a little bit of a mystery spooky vibe but not like if you're not in the mood for like proper horror or something um so yeah i can't really fault it from from that perspective it's not didn't blow my socks off but i still enjoyed it um any any other thoughts on on watching it any extra thoughts this time around brad that maybe you hadn't thought before or new revelations so i was i was fortunate I was fortunate enough. I, this may be my fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth time. God knows how many times I've watched it. Um, but this was what, the first time I got to show it to uh, my girlfriend, um, my long, long-suffering girlfriend. Oh my Lily. god! What did she think? Um, so she, um, we, we, we fell in love over a mutual love of Nicolas Cage. Ah, um, amazing! We matched on Hinge. One of my, my, you know, you the really crap statements that they make you right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, said I said something along the lines of Nicolas Cage has never made a bad film. Uh, and she came into me DM, you know, into the messaging. She's going, what about this? What about this? And I'm explaining. And it turns out her, her greatest film, her favorite film of all time 
without unironically is gone in 60 seconds. Brilliant. Brilliant. So that's when I knew she was made for me. Much respect for that. So your wedding, the tables are going to be themed different. Different, yeah. Vampire's kiss table, loads of garlic. Um, (laughs) But so it was nice to show it to her. She was actually really nervous because she knows how much I love this film. Yeah, I was going to say, you haven't seen the tattoo and then you've only just got around to watching it, but I imagine it was quite a big deal to watch that for the first time with you. It, that yeah that was she was she she was a lot more nervous than i expected her to be but like the the film doesn't really ask much of you no. as a as a an audience member it is you know you could you could put john pertwee in that and make it midsummer murders very <laughs> yeah. easily yeah you could make that a regional detective show episode and she loves ncis so case. i knew that i'd be i'd, I'd be all right because she's likes she likes a procedural thriller and this film is a, a pretty procedural thriller. He doesn't do anything too flashy with the camera. There is some egregious flashbacking and flashbacking of flashbacks and flashbacks of flashbacks that are flashbacks. Oh, it was the dream within a dream. Oh, that was funny oh. though. The smash out, the crash, oh. crash zoom out. Uh, the, uh, the zoom out and then, oh! Oh, in the trap. <laughs> no, that, that was, like, I had to, that made me laugh. That really did. That's so good. And you know, even like his first arrival on the island is he's going up there and all the women are just like, what the fuck are you doing it? Fuck off. <laughs> and the two like lumps are like carrying the stuff up and he's got that, that wet dripping bag. Yeah. And he's like, what he, what he got in there? A shark or something? <laughs> and then they just let that statement hold in the air like a fucking smelly fart. <laughs> they're just all looking at him like, what? And then they like, have a look and they, and they kind of bitch him out. And that's like the, the first kind of like iteration of like him, them emasculating him, right. cucking him yeah. from his own autonomy. That was funny though when they kind of jump, made him jump with the bag. <laughs> it's, just, it's the classics. The classics are there for a reason. <laughs> yeah, oldies but goodies. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I, I definitely agree. There was some stuff that really made me laugh that I wrote down, like when, when he was like, "Oh, I'll have a drink or whatever," and she poured him a, a pint of mead, and mead. when he made, he was like. Mm. He's just making all of these noises like he was Winnie the Pooh having some honey or something. <laughs> like it was just all these little, he just peppers it with all of these little cagesms that uh, I really enjoyed. Yeah, it's Cajun season. season. Yeah. <laughs> I like that, <laughs> definitely. Um, also, as um, an allergy sufferer, I had to bring up, did he call it his bee pen rather than... His epipen. Ep- well, because B-pen. the packaging, yeah, the packaging on Said the pen B-pen. was the pen. Oh, yeah. very good. Don't, still don't think you should inject there though. Regardless, definitely think you should do it on the leg, like I've been taught. But it's going to be my like little service announcement every time I see this when they inject it somewhere else. I'm going to be like, mm, gonna poor medical. It's always on the leg. Well, I've I've never been taught to do it anywhere else. It's always been on the leg. So every time I see, because I have to preface whenever I say to people, right, here's how to do the EpiPen. I'm like, not like Pulp Fiction. <laughs> do not put it into my That's chest. adrenaline. <laughs> no, I know. But you know what people, because everyone always goes, do I put it in your chest? I've always seen people do it in the neck on TV. This is it. I don't, With I don't know if that's yeah. legit. Just don't do it to me. Do it on my leg. Anyway. No, always shove it somewhere meaty. <laughs> <laughs> it's true thigh or bum yeah yeah very true um but yeah i'm i won't be it, it won't be from bees mine's peanut allergy but um i did enjoy Girl, same <laughs> did enjoy the uh the fact that that 
his character got stung, had a reaction, then got treated mysteriously, you know, by their ways, and then immediately was just fine around be- being around bees again. Like, like I would not have done that. <laughs> he just then stand the way he reacted the first time, and then he's already been spung- stung, and now he's standing there talking to the elder or whatever, and he's just swatting them away. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. you're pretty fine with them now, I guess. And then at the end, well, he knows there's a backup plan. What? Because they'll take him back he's, and he got a magic nice him. I do. I don't Why did, for a good and, seat. He seemed pretty restless. Yeah, he said maybe he was just buying into the vibe, and he was like, "Okay, yeah, I could, I could do with this." But why, at the end, when he was tortured with the bees, was he then given the epipen? Was it so that they were like, "Right, you know, you've been tortured. Now wake up, so you're alive. You're awake when we burn you alive." Was it that kind of vibe? Yeah, right. Basically, yeah. that they just wanted to do some excessive torture to him because I think as well it's partly the bees getting their revenge because he kills the bee at the start and they didn't like that. Right. I see. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just wanted because we've pretty much only spoken about Nicolas Cage. Oh yes, of course. But I just there were a lot, lot of other people in it, a lot of nice actresses. I ju- I really enjoyed Ellen Bernstein, uh, but I also love Frances Conroy, who most people will know from Six Feet Under or American yes. Horror Story. I just love her being a crazy old creepy lady. She does it. Yeah, so she well. really does. I think yeah, I think for the most part, I was pretty like I thought the performances were fine. I wasn't massively convinced by the actress that played Willow, um, but then again, she's awful. Yeah, but that. She she wasn't she wasn't strong enough, her and her interview was very awkward. Yeah, I just don't. I feel like it's obviously going to be so hard being up against someone like Nick Cage. I think she still held her own by no means, but it's really hard when you're with such a scene stealer like that. Then again, I say that, and obviously she her character is acting the whole time, so actually maybe it's more that she's not necessarily bad. It's more just that you know when you're when you're having a character essentially act themselves there's just another layer to it that because at the end obviously it's all revealed that but she even at, at the end looked a bit unsure but she just did a lot of look wistful and sort of look sad her, and a bit yeah, yeah yeah yeah. i mean she was but, beautiful so she did her so job <laughs> yeah. she drip feeds information in the most annoying oh my God, tell me about way that. possible it's like i've been told she's burnt to death and she's like well that's one way of looking at it. It's like, <laughs> how's that helpful? <laughs> yeah, it's almost as if like this, this has all been set up for ages, and they're like, they've the the all of the different women have kind of all done it, and they're like, right, it's your turn now. Call up, um, Edward. Is his name Edward? Edward Malice, male phallus. Yeah. yeah. Right, it's your turn. <laughs> we'll all send our letters out, and we'll see see who gets a good response. And she's like, oh, for fuck's sake, it's him. Oh, it's my turn to step up. They're like, come on, you can do this. You've been through the acting lessons. Let's go. Let's do it. And are, you, are, you, are you suggesting she's got opening night jitters? <laughs> yeah, she doesn't know what. <laughs> she's a bit nervous about how... What Daisy to... is suggesting is remaking Mamma Mia. Oh, my God, yes. Mamma Mia crossover. Yes. Um, but essentially... Send out the letters. See, see which, which dads, dads come, come back. In. Nicholas Cage turns up. James Franco's there. <laughs> but it's almost as if she's like... Oh shit, mate. Okay, well, I guess I have prepared for this. I'll give it a go. But you're right. It's almost as if she's like, um, yeah. Uh, and she's like thinking on the spot rather than the fact that they've prepared this for years. <laughs> it feels a little bit like 
but it's improv yeah it does i'm not complaining at all it was just an observation more than anything i give the film credit and i saw someone else was reading um some reviews someone else actually i think it was the empire review kind of gave it credit for this as well of sticking to the original ending in that they they do have him murdered and sacrificed because obviously there's so many remakes of both um, American remake. Well, this is also an American remake of a non-American film. But there's so many horror remakes where they like fluff up the ending and give it, you know, a hero's mm. ending. So I do respect that, you know, they were just like the whole point of this film is to watch him burn in the giant wicker man. Let's watch him burn in the giant wicker yeah. man. I was still waiting for the bees though, so I think I need to rewatch the ending because I was just, I was like, hold on, I was just confused. I was that woman with the meme with the calculations going, wait. I feel like this feel like this is the end, but I haven't seen the bees. So it didn't quite it felt quite abrupt to me. But then I also had the obviously the six months later thing come up. So I was like, oh maybe he maybe he stays alive and then they do the bees. <laughs> <laughs> it obviously wasn't. And then it kind of ended. I was like, oh, okay. Well I I need to look at how the bees come into this. <laughs> I actually didn't really like actually experience the ending of the film at all kind of preoccupied um so maybe i need to give that one a revisit anything else Brad, about the performances that um you wanted to share i mean i i quite i quite enjoy fake kathy bates um <laughs> i know exactly who, who you're talking about <laughs> first two times i was convinced it was her <laughs> see i can't remember the actress's name but i knew her instantly is it Diane Delano? Di- yeah, Di- Di- Diane Delano. She was in the Ryan Murphy's first TV show, Popular. Oh. She played, like, I think it was a P. No, she was the evil science teacher. So I saw her and was like, oh my god, it's that woman. And I got really pleased that she had done other work. Because she was great. Was this before or after? Uh, no, that was in like 1999. Oh, okay. So this was after. after. And uh, did everyone spot Aaron Eckhart in the first uh, scene? I yes, did not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just saw he's on the letterbox. Yes. Who he was, was it? He's, he's the truck stop. Yeah, he's like, thank you, darling. And he like tips his hat and walks out straight away. Eckhart's he's... done a lot of work with Laboot in other oh. in his previous films. Yeah, so it's a very cameo blinking or miss the... it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did notice that. I forgot I forgot all about it actually. So yeah, good spot. So shall we talk a little bit about how this was received <laughs> by the public <laughs> because obviously when we talk about the bottom 100 there's always an interesting story behind why it might be there and sometimes it is just because it's a bad film but we found the pattern and I think the obvious one here is that it is a remake of uh you could still call cult films beloved because they're beloved by people just a bit more after the fact but is that true does anyone know much about the original wicker man and how is is it technically a cult classic or do people kind of love it when it first was released as well i think it's probably only a cult classic in the fact that like it's a horror so it has a very significant mm. type of audience and mm-hmm. um, not not to over talk the horror podcast <laughs> <in the chat. laughs> i i i, I cosplay as a horror podcaster <laughs> um i would say so uh, what from, from my understanding the wicker man two th- uh, 1973 is actually or wasn't at this time very well known in the u.s mm. i think it was quite difficult to source i think maybe there was a dvd but there wasn't a th- it wasn't something that you would deem to be a cult classic it certainly is in the uk is it a uk made uh, film it, yeah it's, robin mm. hardy from 1973 yeah and um lots of scottish accents yes it's very, very it's very regional 
very regional. <laughs> um, you know, if you put an, if you put an A twenty four logo on, on it now and released it, people would just be like, a miracle, bravo. Losing <laughs> their shit. Miss summer part two, love it. Brilliant. Um, for for me though, it's like it's way too much of a musical. Like it pisses me off the the original film. It's too much singing in it. Winds me up. Oh, um, well, I went to the singing. Oh, because I, I someone else called it a musical, and I wouldn't pass it a musical at all. But I did like the music. I think because I liked the bits that then Midsummer, having obviously seen that much before I saw these two, the bits that Midsummer has taken away. I like a bit of maypole dancing and some creepy women. To me, it's Newton Faulkner at Glastonbury, and I'm not having it. <laughs> Newton Faulkner. <laughs> oh, oh my god! I would be there. I'd be the one in the front row. Oh, wow. <laughs> Um, so the, certainly people, so the, I guess there's two ways of looking at it. So there's the precious Wicker Man fans who see this and go, you're spitting on a legacy of a great mm-hmm. film. Fine. You can be, feel that way. But similarly, there's also, you have to remember this kind of came out the same sort of time as films like Hostel right. and Saw mm, are doing bits. So what people are expecting is violence, gore, decapitations, innards, guts. And especially if you hear that it's a remake of an old uh, an old British film yeah. where a man is tortured and murdered, yeah. you're going to be like, yes, <laughs> sign me up. Yeah. So we're, we're post 9-11. So we've got this now, this kind of like misanthropic hatefulness that's sort of permeating in, in horror culture. And these horror audiences are, are coming to expect one thing. Now, here's a little tidbit. That f- this film and the William Friedkin psychological thriller Bug are the only two films in 2006 to receive an F cinema score from American audiences. Mm. They're both films that were wrapped up as horror films oh. and are both something entirely different. And I think post 9-11 and in this wave of torture porn and hateful sort of horror, um, these two films really stand apart as... A, a different divergence of the path that the audiences at the time mm-hmm. just definitely weren't ready for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Expectations always comes into play with people's enjoyment of things. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that definitely comes into a factor of how I enjoyed it. Cause I knew what I was kind of get, getting in, like getting mm-hmm. in for, that's not the phrase going in for. I can't remember my brain's mush. I knew signing up for <laughs> signing up for. Thank you. Um, even if I did feel like I wanted a little bit more, caginess overall um like you say the expectations come into play what i will say is that it has been nominated for a few awards <laughs> oh. our usual our, our usual uh, friend of the podcast razzie's not friend of the podcast at all but we talk about them a lot the razzies um had quite a few nominations um at uh, at for that year so it came out 2006 so it was the 2007 awards for the razzies um i think it was mostly nominated though i don't know if it actually won too much i'm just looking at the page now nicholas cage was nominated for worst actor but mal the uh, wayne's brothers won for little man it was nominated oh, yeah. for worst picture but basic instinct 2 which i didn't realize was a Oof. thing won for worst Oof. picture um, worst remake or ripoff nominated Little Man won. Um, worst screen couple Nick Cage in his bear suit. Little Man won again. So I think Little Man just picked it to the post on everything. Just, just swept. Yeah, those. Basic <laughs> Instinct two got worst screenplay, which was also nominated for. So I think it kind of it was one of those ones where it was like across the board. And Claire and I are very um, aware of the film. The films that are chosen tend to be uh, ticked in all categories. It definitely was one of those ones. 
Um, which I can't say I'm too surprised at, um, given the uh, notoriety of the film. Um, as you said before, it does have an like a pretty okay score on IMDb. It's definitely not the worst. However, I did do a little bit of a diving to the data, as I like to do, and I did find out that one in five people on IMDb gave it a one star, which is the biggest chunk of people. Um, so, obviously people still don't like it regardless <laughs> regardless of what we're saying here there is still a bunch of people who don't like it but i did find a very good um score from the new york post on metacritic 75 out of 100 and they said it was profoundly disturbing blood chilling suspenser not sure if they got the right version but everyone is entitled to their opinion sure um <laughs> And what was another one that I thought was interesting to talk about? The New York Times gave it 30. So this is on the lower end of the scale. Um, and they said, a movie like this can survive an absurd premise, but not incompetent execution, which is something I touched upon earlier that I knew that people sort of had a bit of an issue with. Um, and they um, call out the director, never much of an artist with the camera, proves almost comedically inept as a horror movie technician. It's neither haunting nor amusing, just boring. And I think it goes to your point, Brad, about people expecting a certain kind of film um, and not quite getting that. Claire, I don't know if you looked at any reviews this time. I had that same ah. New York Times and I had that exact same bit there highlighted. Because, um, yeah, I did think that was a, a great quote. Um, and I then just had a couple other ones, but nothing particularly. Um, just negative reviews from The Guardian. And Empire, kind of a lot of it, talking about you know the differences like we have done it's kind of hard not to refer it to the yeah. original if you've seen the original mm-hmm. um and the kind of ending of the empire review was this has limited interest to folks who don't know the old movie and an excruciating experience for those mm-hmm. who do Bad idea, bad film. I think that's the thing, isn't it? When you think about who's going to be going to see it, um, like you made, you brought up the point of the cinema score, um, Brad. We, you know, we know now that the context of the cinema score is that these people are going out of their way to see that film. They've chosen to see it, um, and there's a reason that they've chosen to see it. And I can imagine, I'd love to have known how many of the audiences going to see it when it first came out were people who had seen the other film. And how much of them were just someone who'd seen the marketing and that's what they were expecting. Um, of those, who were people that were just like, fuck it, I had a great time. It was Nick Cage. It's not what I expected, but and whether that's actually didn't happen at the time and it's now people have gone back and looked at what it actually is and appreciated it for what it is a little bit more. This was also the start of the Nick Cage, you're either going to get a good film or a bad film. I think people at this point were still expecting Nick Cage's name comes with a certain amount of prestige. And this is sort of the beginning of what you might call a decline. I haven't seen enough of his movies to make that move. I'm more more than happy to chip in. (laughs) Yes, please go ahead. Uh, you are right that this is uh, the genus of Nicolas Cage director video. um, I'm in trouble with the tax man. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go to the Kazakhstan Film Festival and pretend to support Kazakhstani film adventures because I need the money. Right. Um, so, yes, uh, this is where his stinky films start turning up. You can kind of... Next year he does Bangkok Dangerous, which is a remake of a Danny and Oxide Pang movie. Uh, and that's really where it starts, where the hairline starts going and so do the scripts and plots. Um, <laughs> but I still love every single one of them. They are, there is a, a trove 
between 2007 and 2019 of just some of the most bizarre shit you've ever seen. And I love every single one of them. They're great fun, but they're really bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Like you said, like film, like liking film is completely object, uh, sub- subjective, um, and if you can get enjoyment out of it, that is the main thing. I mean, I'd still have to say that I think my cage watching is definitely shameful. Like I haven't seen as much as I thought. Claire, you've done really well since the last time we had a had a cage cage a thon. So <laughs> I'll have you. to up my game and see some of these. Like I think a good variety be, will be good. I I've watched I have watched Pig since I think um, we did the last episode, um, but I think a good mix of Cage would be good. Um, just to see his full a cage range. Dive. Oh, what, sorry. A Cage dive. There you go. Sit. Oh my god, you're just gonna have to write scripts for us now. <laughs> I've also just looked up because um, I was curious and I hadn't prepped this, but. Um, in terms of whether it made money at the box office, it actually didn't re- make its budget back. Its budget was forty million, <laughs> and uh, yeah, forty million. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the box office is thirty-eight point eight, so uh, so close to breaking even, but um, not this time, I'm afraid. How much of that? I reckon half of that's Cage's salary. Yeah, oh, yeah surely. Yeah. And then the truck effect, because they kept fucking showing that. They were like, we're, we're getting, getting them. Yeah, 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 exactly. We're not we're getting this our pound of flesh out of it. Just in case people <laughs> didn't see it the third time, let's throw it in again. Um, 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 I have one. Oh, go on. Review, which is just an amusing on. one. Because uh, like I said, there was actually, it was quite difficult to find letterbox reviews because a lot of them are the people just being like, so bad, it's good. Had a great time watching this with my mates and all that. And then the people just being like, just want to raise the score. Um, but I just like this one from Will, post emoji in 2017, who gave it one star and said, I knew I was in for a ride when I saw the opening credits for Rimpa. <laughs> Ryan Gosling would have had a field day with that. <laughs> yeah, there's just something about like yeah, Naughty's just... graphic design that just mm-hmm. sends chills through my spine. And this film could go in a capsule to explain what films were like in the noughties. Yeah. It's so of its yeah, time I agree. when it was made. I like it. That's why I found it cosy. <laughs> I had a few letters. Nostalgia. Bro- yeah, it really is. I was like, oh, just in my tea and this is this spooky movie. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I had a few from Letterboxd as well. Matt Lynch said, I'm not going to bat for this as some hidden success just waiting to be reclaimed. <clears throat> Brad. But no, he didn't say that really. But it's a lot more interesting than it's idiotic, so bad it's good reputation would suggest. Um, it definitely has a tough time juggling some pretty disparate tones, but the awkwardness also goes a long way in keeping things off balance and unsettling. And to be honest, I think it's a really good roundup of how I found it. I didn't think it was this extreme, like, wow, you've got to see this film. It's so crazy, like bad, or it's... It's also I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it's a hidden genius either. But the weirdness of it and the unsetting you not quite knowing what he's gonna say next or what people are gonna do, it definitely added to the overall unsettling feeling and, and enjoyment of it. Um and I had one more um from Rook Roll. It's like someone explained the plot of the original Wicker Man to a Hollywood producer and didn't really understand what made it original interesting. And then that producer just made their own virgin. Uh, virgin? Virgin? <laughs> <laughs> Technically, Technically, still correct. Kind of right. <laughs> <laughs> and they 
episodes. He wasn't, but... We never see him. <laughs> Keith's got started reading Cage as the next word. Cage is fun to watch, though, and the mm. island looks like a nice place to go on holiday. Like, I've said this multiple times in the real world, but I'm genuinely... I would be so susceptible to a cult. I genuinely am surprised <laughs> I haven't been indoctrinated to a cult by this point. And I would 100% go to a cult of all women just chilling. Making honey. Making honey, women. Yeah. Making honey and killing police, like killing cops. <laughs> Fucking sign me. Honestly, up. that's that is that's Firefest twenty twenty three for <laughs> left wing women. They've just <laughs> got <laughs> a busted everywhere. <laughs> oh, where my Burton Ernie a cab t shirt? The, the girlfriend was like, "I'd be well up for moving here," and, I, and she was like, "No offense." I was like, "I actually, I kind of get it. it makes sense to me, really." <laughs> so I think it's time we all shared our ratings. For the film so we do it out of five i know brad you've already said that you'd seen mine got a sneak peek um but i will go first as i've sort of like summarized what what i i've sort of felt about the film i'm gonna go with a three this is pretty down the road for me but it is leaning more on the positive side because i did enjoy it it didn't blow me away there had fun elements to it that i enjoyed but overall it did feel kind of a bit plodding along mostly with the plot the i knew something was up it wasn't too surprising um but yeah i still got a bit of a kick out of it anyway but nothing particularly to write home about and there were no bees so i did rate it as the theatrical version (laughs) maybe a three and a half for the director's cut but i can't do that because i only watched the extra bees bit on a youtube video during the credits so i don't think that bit comes yeah, that doesn't count. <laughs> um, I went 2.5. Uh, I was feeling a little bit negative. Um, it would be more 2.75, oh. but we can't start going into like, yeah, that's too much. <laughs> so I'm going to go 2.5 because it isn't really a good film and it's very choppy and uh, it, it is just a bit all over the place. But I didn't think it was as terrible as everyone says. Um, I just, I think a three-star film for me is that if someone asked me should they watch it, I'd still say yes. And if someone said should they watch this, I could not in good conscience tell them to. Mm, interesting. Brad, what are you going to... Are you going to bump uh, up this average for us? <laughs> yeah, I'm, a little bit. I'm, I'm, no, I'm not going to take the piss here. Right? <laughs> you can if you want. I'm it's all you. Don't worry here. about it. Uh, no judgment here. It's... it's it's a four-star film. I recognise that there are some quite glaring faults in this. What I would say is I don't believe the film belongs in the top, the bottom 100. Not when things like the Nan movie exist <laughs> and Winnie the Pooh, yeah. Blood and Honey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when these things exist, I find it egregious. But it also makes me feel like he's the little engine that could. You know, <laughs> he's, been, he's been dealt a rough hand. But at the end of the day, there's a lot to enjoy in this film if you just slightly alter your perspective. Oh, I like oh, that. That was lovely. And I do agree. I don't I don't think this deserves to be on the list. No. I would save this from the list. No, well. I think it's kind of been branded. It's been given this persona of like a bad film. And I understand why people have done it. But I think it deserves its own other name. Like it deserves a different label for what it is. Like... It's not, maybe absurd, absurd, notorious, mm. something more like that than than bad. I think there's a bit of a simple label for that. But yeah, I agree. Claire, you agree. Doesn't need to be on the bottom 100. I'm saving it. I would happily revisit this again, to be honest, because as I say, I found it cozy. 
(laughs) (laughs) Right. I am so curious for this top three because, Claire, you've just said you would be susceptible to a cult. And considering our top three this week in line with the theme of cults, I would love to know what your top three are, but I'm going to ask Brad first and then we'll do our usual take it in turns. So Brad, give us your top three of cults in films. Okay, in um, ascending order, in third place, I've got uh, Martha uh, Marcy May Marlene by Sean Durkin. Yes. Love that film so much. Uh, In number two... I have another Nicolas Cage film, 2018's Mandy. Ah, very good. And in number one position, John Carpenter's 1996 opus, 1994, I lie, 1994, In the Mouth of Madness. I'm not going to lie, I haven't heard of that one. <laughs> you should check it out. I mean, my whole my whole shtick on these horror things is the underseen gems. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that it's an underseen gem, but I knew that neither of you would pick it, so that's why I picked it. <laughs> No, I recently for a screen run podcast, they're doing a John Carpenter season and I watched his uh, Village of the Damned. Quite fun. Yeah, that was fun. So I wouldn't mind watching some more like 90s Carpenter. Yeah. So thanks for that recommendation. Yes. Cool. Is there anything you wanted to share about any of those films and why they're they're the top three for you? Um, So Sean Durkin's uh, MMMM, I can't can't get the My phone's gone onto lock screen now, so that's gone. (laughs) Thank you. Is a great ambiguous portrait of cult and deprogramming of cult. And for, you know, a decade nearly, he never made another film. He's now made another film. Um, Wasn't as good, but, you know, never mind. Uh, And then Mandy is such a singular film. It's a film that I feel is made for me. (laughs) It's got this kind of death metal doom to it it's this sort of fatalistic um exploration of what happens to you when you lose love and the kind of madness and mania but also catharsis that you can experience from losing love uh and uh, in the mouth of madness is just an absolute banger of a lovecraftian uh sort of new england horror tale about an author that's kind of indoctrinated an entire town into believing his twisted fantasies mm. and why wouldn't you like that have you I must ask have you watched Dead Ringers because that's Sean Durkin's kind of new new thing the TV show yeah yeah Uh, I haven't got round to it I do a monthly like review show uh, mm. on the Evolution of Horror Patreon and uh, I always skirt the TV stuff because I'm like team film but it is on my list it looked like a good trailer that's it I I wasn't so sure on it and then I heard I remember hearing that it was him who was heavily involved in it and I Marco Martimane Arlene is one of my faves so um, that got, that kind of made me more interested but I haven't started it yet either well on that note shall we both just hold put our cards on the table to admit we both have Marco Martimane Marlene on our lists oh, of course it, <laughs> did it, we all, all three of us do it <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I adore Elizabeth yeah. Olsen. That was when yeah, I honestly, like her. turning I, point. I thought she should she, have got yeah. Oscar noms. I just, I love revisit. I don't revisit it often because it's quite a heavy film. But when I revisit it, I always enjoy it, and you just see so many different things in it. Um, but I have enough other things. That oh, okay, all right. Want. Well, I'll take this one then. Um, if you okay. want, I'm assuming <laughs> we both have another double, but we'll see. Um, maybe two. Who knows? Um, what one thing we do learn about ourselves, Brad, is that sometimes we realise that either our tastes are the complete opposite, and I go full film bro, 
and uh, Claire goes full film chick. I don't know what the film ho, whatever. <laughs> or we have e- something. Or we have exactly the same, and we both haven't seen more than the three films that we picked. So I'm interested to <laughs> I see. I have a list of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I have eleven. Oh my god! Shall I just do my three and then? You're going to do- no, because I'm worried you'll get one that I want. Okay. <laughs> well, I've only got three, so I'm a bit screwed. Oh, um, no, <laughs> okay, I'll go, go back then. to my research and find another one. Um, Martha Marcy May Marlene <laughs> really reminds me of sort of the turning point where I really started to get into film. It was when I was doing media studies at A level, and I and I broke down a scene of this and a scene of Another Earth. If you guys have seen that, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was just something so early 2010s about those films <laughs> I don't know it just sticks with me in that nostalgia and it's just beautifully shot but it's just got this awful undercurrent of of just uncomfortableness but you're right it's that amb- ambiguity as well and um, Sarah Paulson's fantastic she's a sister in it right um that relationship that they explore and I just think it's a fascinating look like you say of that coming out of that of the cult and what it means it's more it's, it, it comes at it from a bit of a more of a human way of how these things actually happen. But we so rarely also get the perspective of the, like, having yes. left. It's always while it's happening, so it's such a nice experience as well. Like, obviously we flash back to what happened to her, but it's lovely to have the, like, escaped person. Yes, for sure. Um, would you like to go next for all your one, whilst I yeah, look for I'm going one. to take... I'm going to take Hot Fuzz. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 go on. Yeah, yeah. I see it. <laughs> Yeah, for the greater good. Greater good. <laughs> for the greater good. Just a great use of cults. You never see it coming. Um, and also, police, British police officers, cults. You know what? what and Cornell. And they do, they so, do yeah, riff on the. Don't they have someone from the original Wickerman, or they riff on it, or they pay homage to it as well? No, having now seen the original Wickerman, I feel like if I watch Hot Fuzz again, I see the will. parallels. Like, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Ed- Edward Woodward is in right, Hot Fuzz. that's what, yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Okay. He's the neighbourhood watch. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just, <laughs> yeah. a, it's just a top. Bloody hoodie. It's just one of my favourite films just in general, so. Yeah. Excellent choice. There. And that's why I was really worried. I was like, I want No, no, Hot no, Fuzz. you can have that. I don't have that. Purely just because I was trying to be a little bit more, like, try, like, try and, not specific, but you know what I mean. Like. Yeah. A yeah, 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 I think so. Um... <laughs> And also, I was just like, what counts as a cult? I had to do a bit of, like, looking around, but I'm glad that you picked that because it was definitely on my shortlist. Okay. In which case, I'm going to pick next Midsummer. But I'm going to take it, and you're probably going to dislike me for this, but I'm going to take it because it was such an interesting um, experience where I loved Hereditary. I went to see that on my own. And I was just blown away by it. I felt like I needed to take a shower and rock back and forth. And it was horrible. And I loved it. And then I went into Midsummer and I was like, I don't don't see it. Like something's missing. I I don't know. I love Florence Pugh. And there was something. But oh my God, if I didn't think about it every single day after I watched it. And even without watching it again, like I feel like my whole perspective of it completely changed. It just deals with dread and grief in such a visceral way that I genuinely have to be really careful if I'm going to rewatch it because um, it really is very, very, very harrowing. And Ari Aster is just 
like love him or hate him is doing some really really interesting creative stuff i'm very excited to watch Bo is afraid and i don't know if you guys ever watched his first short film i cannot bring myself to do it but it was like the talk of sit form media studies a level class <laughs> so it's so interesting to remember that and see what he's doing now um but yeah in terms of the cult side of things a be- it's just a beautifully shot film Florence Pugh is a vision um, she brings out that frown that she's well known for and as someone with a frowny face I feel represented um, and if you haven't seen it prepare yourself it's quite a hard watch but it's definitely one that I, I, I think people if they're into this kind of film they're into film they're into something that's a bit different a bit challenging that it's definitely worth checking out so two things Firstly, I don't know if you're going to be able to see this. Oh, it's just a bit overexposed. Can you put... Is that you? No, is that you in the thing from Midsummer? I'm, the I, I made the... Uh, yeah, <gasps> oh I'll my God, yeah, I can see it when there you turn it. it. Oh my God, that is amazing. Oh, I can amazing. see you doing the pound as well. <laughs> I'm, do, I'm doing the pound, yeah. obviously. Um, but on the subject of um, director's cuts, have you seen the director's cut of Midsummer? I haven't. No. It's better. Ooh. Excellent. Because okay. I feel... After watching Wicker Man today, I really wanted to give it a rewatch, and I just didn't have time. So if I do give it a rewatch, I'll specifically do. Yeah, the agreed. But I mean, I mean, the director's card Midsummer is is it's quite long. It's a bit, it's a bit longer, but it really contextualizes uh, why he ended up in that pair. Right. Okay. And how he definitely like you get a lot more of the kind of toxicness of him, uh, and it and, you know it it, the, it was quite shocking obviously in the in the in the in theatrical but in the directors you're like bitch put him in <laughs> burn that burn motherfucker him. he's gotta go i also now realize <laughs> yeah, the parallels of the bear after uh, <laughs> what we just watched okay yeah claire what is your third and final i oh, I oh yeah sorry as soon as i said that um, i realized <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go for The the Other Lamb, which is a 2019 kind of folk horror movie. And um, it's by a Polish director called... Good luck with this. Butchers. Good luck. Good luck. Yep. <laughs> Mel- Malgosata Sismoska. Oh, yeah. Um, Sounds good to yeah. me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, I was lucky enough, I saw this at, I think it was the 2018 London Film Festival. Um, no, it must have been the 2019. Um, so I saw her at London Film Festival with Q&A with her and a number of cast afterwards and it's just a really nice kind of eerie folk mm. horror and the horror isn't very high in it but it's just very unsettling about a young group of women who are in a cult with um, this one charismatic older man leader who is goddamn stunning <laughs> so you know I can see why the women fell for it. Oh so Again, this is the this one, is why, this is the cult she's um, going to go into. <laughs> But yeah, it's just brilliant performances from just a number of young actresses and it's really striking, like, because I just love that. Um, Rafi Cassidy, I fell in love with her after watching this and Vox Lux, so um, really excited to see her do more and more. And yeah, just highly recommend if people haven't mm. seen it because it kind of came I don't think I've heard of it. Just say it's called The Other Lamb. Yeah. The oh, Other interesting. Lamb. It's, it's basically got the same plot as Cheaper by the Dozen. <laughs> <laughs> Sold. <Get it. laughs> Please don't tell Daisy that. She's going to go with just the wrong expectations. Okie dokie. Now it actually is my third and final. Sorry, I I miscalculated. Mm -hmm. I am going to go for Kill List. Um, Not seen it. It's, again, weirdly, I don't know why all of my choices are, well, Midsummer isn't, but my other choice was around, I watched it around the time of being a teenager. I think it came out in like 2011. 
Um, and my ex-boyfriend told me about it and we watched it and I was just, I was, yeah, again, it's one of those ones where you go, well, what have I just watched? It creeps up on you. Um, it's by the director, Ben Wheatley, who had a bit of a career resurgence after that. His like, his film filled in England was like quite highly anticipated. I actually have met him. He was at one of the empire, like, um, uh, conventions or whatever they did one year. Um, and then that he did High Rise as well. I don't know if you've seen that, Claire. No, but I've heard of it and I recognise Yes, it and they did Free Fire. And then I don't think people like Free Fire. I have not actually watched any of the other ones. I've only watched Kill List. And then I was just like, oh, what has he done recently? And I've just seen that he's directing The Meg 2, which is just... <laughs> Electric Boogaloo, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, yeah, really, really interesting one because he had such a... I think it's because my ex-boyfriend like, was obsessed with him. It's like he's a bit of a like time capsule for me that only existed then, but he's obviously still working and doing stuff, and I haven't watched his other stuff. But Kill List is just um, a, a quite it's quite a quiet indie um, horror. It's English. It's got that kind of like I don't know if you've ever seen um, Eden. Is it Eden Lake? That's also Eden Lake with Michael Fassbender. Yeah, it's also got Rally. that kind of just I don't know, like really gritty like british like it's you know sometimes american films can feel a bit glossy and then you watch like in it like something that's from where you're from and it feels just that bit more real and like, it's like dour yeah it's just got this really like bleak tone to it um and it's just really really fascinating to be honest i've forgotten like I, i'd really need a, a rewatch and i'd be coming in it like quite fresh again having not seen it for a while um, but you're basically. I've got such a good joke lined up for it as well, but I don't want to ruin oh, it. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, you have the to finale. just tell me quietly. <laughs> Claire can cover her ears, but um, I was going to say I could just cover my ears, but I have to. Edit yeah, so, so we'll have to do it another time. But um, yeah, it's 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 got that mystery element of this guy. You know, um, well he's a hitman. Um, so he basically is on his assignment. Um, and then things start to be a bit strange and unravel and you kind of follow you're following him trying to work all of this stuff out um if i i really recommend you watch it claire i think you'd really like it but it's interesting yeah um when i look back at like ben wheatley and i'm like oh well i didn't end up watching any of these other stuff so maybe i should watch some of that less so the meg tomb or i'm thinking you know <laughs> the stuff i heard was good but you know no no uh dissing on the meg of course but it's interesting how i ended up there so yeah so that's my final one claire how about you Cool. So I was, I would love to go. I, what I would have done would be Rosemary's Baby or Society. Um, but I have used both of them in okay, top three yeah. somewhat recently in the run of okay. the show years ago now. Because <laughs> we're weirdos. Um, so I'm going to go, but they are brilliant. Cool movies. Um, I'm going to go for Kevin Smith's Red State. Oh, I don't think <laughs> I know this. Deep, deep cut. <laughs> I just, I watched this during the pandemic and I thought it was great. It's got John Goodman in as well, which always helps. Um, and it's like a uber Christian cult, if I remember rightly. And it's just really weird. And it's like a couple of films. I feel like it's a couple of films in one that like you change who the lead character is okay. throughout the film. And I just remember like, a buy towards like the third act just being like this film was so I've good. seen this poster like, and I did it. not realise it was a Kevin Smith film yeah but it's like really silly oh, and stupid okay. in the way that Kevin Smith films yeah. are 
Um, but I just really, I just, I don't remember enough about it, but I just remember really by the end of it being like, that was fun. Um, so yeah. Nice. That's, that's oh, it's a nice eclectic yeah. mix of different ones there. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm on, on a bit of a uh, mood to watch some really dour and bleak <laughs> films now. I said before we started recording, I did. I do feel bad that I feel there's so many amazing cult documentaries mm. in the last few years and I wish that I had had some more time to go and watch some of the cult documentaries because there are just so many amazing ones right now because apparently cults have They're back in a big way. <laughs> Yeah, if you have any recommendations, let us know on Twitter when you listen to this episode. Because, um, yeah, I think they're all... The whole the whole subject is fascinating. That's why there's a whole sub-genre about it. Um, great. That was fantastic. Thank you so much, Brad, for joining us um, and sharing all of your Wicker Man knowledge and passion. And, uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to have to check out the original. I'll let you guys know what I end up thinking about that. Um... But yeah, let, listeners, let us know, have you seen it? Are you going to see it now? Have you seen the original? Do you think it deserves a place on the bottom 100? Find us on Twitter and Instagram at WRatedPod and on Letterboxd at WRated. Brad, where can we find you? And is there anything you want to shout about to our listeners? Sure. Um, so you can find me on all social media platforms, so Letterboxd, Twitter, Instagram, at HadBranson. Uh, in August time, I'll be launching a uh, new YouTube and podcast series with my friend Ooh. Ash called X Rental, where we uh, take you through the dusty shelves of video rental shops in the 90s, looking specifically at 90s films, leaning towards the cult. But, you know, we're going to do as many heavy hits nice. as we can. Uh, so that will be out sort of August time in conjunction with some of the blockbuster films that we're going to do like tie-in episodes and bits and pieces there. Mm-hmm. Other than that, you can just find me normally skulking around cinemas <laughs> in London, uh, mo- moaning that Nicolas Cage is in there. Just before I go, you you told me um, that a former guest recommended me to be on this episode. I Who can't remember. <laughs> Fucking hell! It was, it was when we first launched the podcast, someone said to me, oh... If you're doing The Wicker Man, you need to get Brad. So I will promise you, I will go back through my old Twitter DMs, potentially. Potentially. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not That's holding out any game. hope. I've got get. I've got get. I've looked at your guest list, and I've. I've I I've don't know if it, it was down, a guest or someone who's just who would who had already messaged about when we launched the podcast. Well, so I'll try and find whoever out. it was. Thank you very much for giving me yet another soapbox to stand on <laughs> <laughs> and fight to the death that this film is quite fun and you shouldn't be mean to it please make yourself known if you remember it was you please so brad can personally yes. thank you <laughs> like, well. <laughs> claire what about you uh you can find me at claire ellen hope claire without i on twitter and instagram um my instagram is full of pictures of my housemates cats <laughs> my twitter uh, is full of me talking about Taylor Swift, complaining that Taylor Swift won't tour in the UK, um, and probably more of that to come because when the fuck will she? Well, comes? maybe maybe she, she will now. She's days. going out with Matty Keely. Oh, they just broke yes. up. It was announced like five minutes before we started recording. Yes. <laughs> it's awful. Not that I particularly like her either, but I don't dislike her. But um, that was um, yeah, that was weird. Anyway. <laughs> 
Look, I'm part of the cult of Matty Healy. I know. If he, if he wanted to sleep with me, I'd be down bad, man. Ooh. No, this is, I'm susceptible to fucking Ooh. arseholes. Okay. Um, but yeah, less about my lack of a love life and where can find you, Daisy? <laughs> well, um, I am on Twitter at Daisy Vic Edwards and I'm on Instagram, very rarely, um, and letterboxed um, Daisy Victoria Edwards. The most interesting recent thing I'm doing on socials is doing a um, full rewatch of all of Fast and Furious <laughs> Not that I've really put anything beyond a star rating on Letterboxd, but if you do want to know my official ranking, I will be happy to oblige in a couple of weeks when I finish. (laughs) Cool. Well, thank you for tuning in, everyone. If you enjoy listening to our pod, we'd love if you could give us a follow or subscribe. And if you're feeling particularly generous, a rating or review. Um, We hope you join us for the next episode where we take on our next worst rated film. See you then.